0: Well, you know, I'm a total believer in balance. Like I I did this blog a while back, Entrepreneur's Covenant, which was all about really trying to find the balance because it's so stressful as a social entrepreneur. Like the Entrepreneur's Covenant really should be the Social Entrepreneur's Covenant, but Social Entrepreneur's Covenant really is about finding balance. If you don't find it, there is no way to succeed. And so that's for entrepreneurs, but for social entrepreneurs, even more so.
1: You are listening to The Leaders Podcast, your number one source for impact leaders harnessing capitalism to sustain the planet, people, and profits. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and that message was from Roberto Milk, the co-founder and CEO of Novica, who left private equity to grow the largest impact marketplace in the world, providing talented artisans and emerging markets access to first world consumers. So on today's episode, I asked Roberto why he pursued this idea, what responsibility comes along with being the main source of income for families during a crisis, and ultimately, how to find balance as a hardworking social entrepreneur. So let's give it up, people, for the real Roberto Milk. Enjoy. All right. Well, let's uh, let's bring the energy today, uh, Roberto. People are tired. They're in their homes. They uh, they might fall asleep. During this episode, and that's the what well, we gotta avoid. So here we go in five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome everyone to this episode of the re Leaders Podcast. I'm your host Kevin Edwards. Joining us today is Roberto Milk, the CEO and co-founder of Novica. 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 How do you pronounce that? Novica. Yeah.
0: Novica, Novica,
1: Novica.
0: (laughs) You can say it any way you want, but Novica
1: is the way we normally say it. Novica. Well, Roberto, we just want to appreciate you coming on the show today. Uh, We're happy to have you. And and, uh, for those out there listening to this, I'm excited today because I love speaking with social entrepreneurs. I hope that's what you can call yourself. I I don't want to label you, but I love speaking with social entrepreneurs. Why? Because they have to solve business problems in socially constructive and creative way. So, Roberto, the first question I have for you today is: What problem did you set out to solve? You know what? That
0: that's an easy one for us because our the whole company was built around just solving this problem. And the problem is: How do artisans um, around the world? How do they effectively make a living? How can they sell something that's super high quality? You know that a talented artist might make let's say in the highlands of Peru um, and sell it in a way that they actually can retain as much of the purchase price as possible.
1: Mm. Right. Okay. So by, by going through the middleman and going through other different sources, they're losing money is what you're saying. And you want to solve that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, my, my grandmother on my proven side was an artisan okay. and the whole, the whole concept came out of this, this um, moment where, a, uh, I was, I was studying and, and a Portuguese teacher was like, Hey, the prices at, in the boutiques here in San Francisco, they're way too high for these items that are, that are not very expensive in Brazil and someone's got to solve that problem. And so that's, and that started with that. There was just figuring out a way to solve that problem. How come like a $10 really nice piece in Brazil sells for hundred dollars in the States? How do we cut out all the middlemen, how to create all the efficiencies so artists can make more and customers
1: can pay less. So let's maybe walk our audience through an example. Let's take like a handbag. Maybe okay. Explain to our audience how Narasen would make more money in producing a handbag in Guatemala.
0: Yeah. So a, a handbag in Guatemala, um, might like a really, really nice one, might cost about $10. So and, and that's, like, that, that's, that, that's like a pretty top of the line, you know, handmade, really nicely done. know handbags some of the best stuff that we've got on the site, right? And then and then that those handbags in the states, um if they make it to the states, then they might be like 50, 60, 70, 80 dollars, right? Maybe even hundred dollars Right. And so then and that's because from the village it goes so the the handbags are often by women, right? So so in the village, um the woman that might be making that she might be working with a village middleman. The village middleman is then working with someone in a bigger city like Antigua or Guatemala city. And then they might be selling it on a trade in a trade show or something to an international distributor who then a retailer buys it from, and then the customer buys it. So there's like a ton of middlemen in the way. Right. Right. And, um, and so our whole thing is how do we find that artist first? It's hard to find the artists. How do we find the artist? And then when we find the artist we're like, Hey, make the best possible item you can and set your own price. And it can be higher than like the $10 you like charge 15, but make it like, make it way better. Right. Mm -hmm. And then it on our side, it'll retail for like 40, $30, something like that. So the customer pays a lot less and the artist makes more. Um, That was the original game. How do we do that? How do we make it do that at scale? Like provide a platform for artists all over. Um, to actually sell to the world market and and do it in a more effective way.
1: It's simple, right? So each person that touches that product adds value to it. And therefore the price is jacked up. And the person who makes that product is receiving less of that money. So now when you say you want to bring and make it more accessible and you say we wanted to find these artisans, how did you do that that, and, and really explain to our audience what this impact marketplace looks like?
0: Well, so, so originally, you know, there's the, so there's all these middlemen, right. And it may, they make it really hard to find the artist. So you might go to like a, a store or a market in, in Peru or in Thailand, and you might be looking for the artist. It's super hard to find that artist. Right. And there are pretty nice middlemen. Like they're like, okay, they're, they're, they're pretty They're, do, they're, they're doing their job. And so every time it passes hands, like they it's not an easy business. So someone's they're taking their markup. And it, it usually is about two X every time, every, every step of the way, mm. right. For so the internet, the local middlemen will take two X. And, and so, and usually they're pretty, but some middlemen, they're like super dangerous. You know, it's like, we've had confrontations
1: where oh, like, geez. like what? Not, what, like what?
0: Oh, like one of our, one of our guys in, in Guatemala, he was like chased out of a market with a gun. Oh, middle, really? You are not, you know, but usually they'll play ball. Cause will be like, Oh, Hey, we're really looking for the person that made this piece and we're not competing. We're not, we're not going to, we're not selling at a local market. We're just going to make their life better. And then you'll, you'll be able to keep working on them. We're not trying to cut out the middlemen, mm. you know, from, from their current thing that they do, whatever they're doing. We just want to give the artists want to go right to the source and give the artists an opportunity to like tell their story. The artists sometimes are so hidden. It's like when we're like, Hey, we want to tell your story. We do these long bios, you know, we, you know, um, they're just like, they're, it's like, what is this? This is incredible. You right. know, cause we, it's all about, they want, we want them to sign the piece. We want them to, to tell their whole story. And, um, and it's the company's really worked, you know, to date, we're almost right. Like 99.6 million sent to artists. So we've sent almost a hundred
1: million dollars to artists over the years. That's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. So uh, I was getting a little hint there, a little taste of some of the problems and challenges that you've had to run into along the way. So let's think about this a little bit. Let's let's stick with this example of Guatemala. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm a handbag artisan, now would mm-hmm. I can, do I have internet access where I can go online, build my profile, get in connection with you, and then also if I've been using these distributors, uh, if I create twenty handbags and I don't want to sell them to the flea market, I want to sell them to the United States, bring first world yeah. access. Um, like how do I get in contact with you so that my product reaches that customer?
0: Well, okay. So a few, a few different things. So you might, you might have a phone to, it gives you internet access these days. So a lot of people are getting, getting online via, via phone, um, which is awesome. It's like we've, we've leapfrogged in a lot of our markets. We leapfrogged kind of like the technology, you know, divide. And, and that's, that's giving accessibility. A lot of it's It is big. Yeah, it's cool. Um, but usually, you, you know, you're not selling much online. And so, um, and then, in many of the cases of our artists, it's usually their kids that are, um, internet savvy. So the kids might be helping mm. them with like maybe a social media page or something like that. But, um, but really the, um, when they hear about us, then they come and and we accept right now, one out of three or four artists, so they'll come and they'll show their products and and um and we'll be like okay yeah that's, you guys you can be accepted or into the system and then it's like it's a huge it's a huge hit for them um if if they don't if we're like oh you know what the, your quality's not quite good enough then um then we ask them to come back in six months or a year and make some improvements um so that's kind of the way that works um and in terms of um in terms of how they so how how they how they work with us um, we have offices all over the world. Um, and in these offices, um, they're constantly looking for artists and, and myself and my wife and even my kids, like they, they've, uh, they've gone on some of these journeys where we look for artists and it's, um, it's, it's hard. Like in Guatemala, um, there was this one um, sculpture that we found in the market that was awesome. It was so great. It was this highly detailed, um, uh, uh, um, Mayan God, Hmm. super nicely carved. And we're like, we have to find this artist. And we knew, um, we knew where like the area, but we didn't know anything more. It was this area called Lake Atitlan that anyone that's been to Guatemala, it's this a beautiful area, this lake and the highlands. And so we went there and we're looking for the artist and we found like one thing leads to the next. We found the, the, um, the, the person that, that that taught the artist. And that teacher is like a—he's—he has sculptures that have been in several museums in the states, and yet he was living in pretty tough conditions. And when we found him, we're like, "Man, you are such a man!" So, so we're like, "You made this?" He's like, "No, I, I taught the person that made this. Look, I can make that." Let's and help I'm, you out. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and it's been—it's been, it's been life-changing for him. Um. And so that's just like an example of of like how we find artists, and it, it's usually there's a journey and there's a discovery, and then the artist's life has changed.
1: Now, I didn't even think about that. Now, I'm just, you know, I've been to Mexico a few times. Um, I haven't, yeah, I haven't, you know, my world travel is, is very minimal. I wish it was more. I wish it was more, Roberto, but it's not. But, but when I've been to, I think it was Cozumel last, you know, you notice you, you go in and get souvenirs. Um, but one thing you can do that everyone knows, that you've been, you can bargain, you can barter for these yeah. these souvenirs. Now, is that yeah. different by telling someone listen, like you can't barter with your products. We're going to get it. We're going to sell it at this price only. And you may not make as much or, you, or, you know, how does that work? What is their con- the conception of uh, just having an initial flat fee or price?
0: Yeah, no. We So we're, we don't really roll that way. <laughs> so, yeah, sure. but you know, like r- going with the Cozumel example. So so Cozumel, I mean, there's a lot of tourist shops and stuff. And if you go to one of those and you ask them, you're like, okay, who made this? Almost always the response is going to be, I did, right. right, right you know, right. or my, or my sister or someone, you know, they made, and, but almost everything in Cozumel they're bringing in from other parts of Mexico. Mm-hmm. And so like, that's really a journey. Like if you want to find one of those artists, you're like, you find something you fall in love with. You're like, I got to discover this person. Usually the first bartering for us is we're bargaining with the person at the stand to give us the contact information. Mm-hmm. So we're like, okay, Will you tell me who bought this? If I buy five pieces, you know, or if I give you fifty dollars or like whatever it is, we have artists and finder fees and all kinds of stuff like that. And so then usually they'll play ball, but if they don't, then it's like a whole like at least tell me the city or the village or whatever, and then we go and we get the piece and we go find it. When we find the artist, it's the opposite. So whatever they were selling that for at Cozumel, I guarantee you the the, the best price that you could have bartered for. Let's say that it was a ten dollar piece, and you they're like, okay, we'll sell it for four they're probably buying it for like two Mm. like price that they're getting it at. So, so like, so they're starting way high for for tourists and then you're kind of getting your price or whatever. But then when we go to that artist, when we find that artist, we go to the artist, we're like, your life has changed because now, okay, first of all, they get a interest-free loan working with us. So, and that's either done straight through us with our customers or it's done on Kiva. Um, so I don't know if, 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 like for your listeners that, that, um, that, that haven't heard of Kiva, it's this incredible, um, nonprofit website, kiva.org. And they've lent o- almost, or actually over a billion in small, um, chunks through all these individual people like you and me, um, to people all over, over the world. And so our artists, they're really popular on Kiva. They put their loans up and, and we get them their funds really fast. And so that artist, they can get a starter loan. And, um, and they can immediately start giving us them. and we're like, Hey, if, if they're charging $10 at Cozumel, you can get that 10 bucks, you can get more, mm. and, but you, and so they can start at a 12 or 15 we'll see, and they, it's total transparency because then they see where the retail price goes and they can move it. They can, they can increase or decrease their price. And more than likely that product, like the, like if it's in a boutique in the States, if it's high quality enough to be in a boutique, like we also, we have to upgrade quality a lot. Right. So we're taking the best, like our stuff is super nice quality. You can close your eyes and pick anything on the website as a gift. And it's like super, super nice quality. And so that quality is getting better. So we're like, look, use better materials, use all, the most time that you can, you know, because you're going to create a following. So, you know, you bet you better do it really nicely. And so, and they do, they love that. They're always, they're always told that, to, Hey, cut corners, make it cheaper, you know, do it, you know, make it faster. And so we're like, no, make it slower, do it well. We want your best stuff. And then we want you to charge more for it. And then, and then the, um, because we're cutting all the middlemen, the customers get a really great deal. So they're getting a value deal and the artist is getting a higher price.
1: It, it, it's, it's a really cool business model. Like I, I, I've always like thought if someone ever had that business model, like what, what that would be like, how they would operate that. Uh, and so when we came across your company, I'm like, man, like this is going to be a great interview. I'm super excited for it. Yeah. But what interests me more, are like the stories behind the building of the company and the struggles and and the, the moments that stick out to you. So the, the, the question I have for you, Roberto, is do you remember your first like artisan that came on the website as well as do you remember the first sale that came through?
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 no, those are good memories. Man, it was incredible because we were, we were bringing on artists and they were so on like, it's hard to, when you don't have a website, you know, to, to convince people to do, to, to give you products and to, to let you photograph them. Cause people are really like with art, people are really careful. They're like, Oh, wait a minute. Sure. You know, who's this person about to photograph my art? You know? And we started, we started with four different countries. Um, my wife's Brazilian. So her, her brother, Fabio, ran the, uh, the Rio operation and he was going to all the art fairs and stuff and getting artists online. And there was this one guy, this one artist named uh, Luis Antonio, and he is so talented. And, um, and he was the one who I think, um, he got on first from Brazil He was our first artist live in Brazil. And then we had Ghana going cause in my investment banking uh, connections, uh, there was this guy who was from Ghana and he set us up with, with his, his, uh, distant relatives there. And, and then we had central America going and we had Mexico and we had, we had, um, Peru with my cousin. And so we had all these little, little hubs going and that's we were like. We were thinking really big from the beginning. We're like, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it big, and, and we all left respective jobs and stuff like that. And we're like, man, we're going to, we're going to make this happen. And, um, and I remember that when we launched the site, we were waiting for that first order. And it came through for it, this, um, musical instrument from Peru. <laughs> it was a panpipe from Peru nice. and uh, someone, someone bought it. And, and, uh, then we're, we, the system was totally kludgy back then. We were like calling the Peru office. We we're like, Hey, Hey Eduardo, that was my cousin running the stuff in Peru out of, out of his garage. Hey Eduardo, we sold one of the pan pipes. He's like, yeah, it was a great, was a great moment.
1: Yeah. And, and now one of the largest impact marketplaces in the world, like what can you, does did- like when you hear that, like what, what goes through your mind?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I, I love that. And and yeah, we're, we're from many of our countries with the biggest exporter of handcrafted goods. And we're the, yeah, we're one of the leading um, marketplaces with there's uh, 75,000 plus items live at any time. Well, actually not right now because the coronavirus and three of our offices are uh, uh, not shipping right now. So yeah, how,
1: how's that yeah. impacted your business? Oh, it's been crazy. It's been really cra-
0: crazy. It's been one of those things where where it's been a roller coaster the last few weeks, you know, and um, we got on it early because um, we have a lot of relationships in Italy, and so Italy just really mm. started scaring us, and we were like, "Man, this is really bad." And so we were on with all of our offices doing these. There's about 150 people that work for the company, so we were on with our with our reps and our teams in different locations, and we're like, we're like "Guys, we got to take this seriously." You know, get face masks, get sanitizer we're going to let's create clean rooms out of our packing areas. They're already pretty, you know, clean that we have yeah. separate areas and stuff. But we're like, let's turn them into clean rooms and um, let's be prepared. And they're like, what are you talking about? This is just, this is like a a China thing. Right. And, you know, and and things changed so fast in just the course of 14 days, really yeah. from when we first started having those calls and there was all this resistance and, and Asia, everybody's like, oh yeah, yeah, we'll wear a face mask. That's all good. You know, it's not not a big thing because our Thai team, our Bali team, it was just like, they, our Bali team, they go to the office and most of them um, drive um, motor scooters. And when they get there, they're using helmets or face masks anyways. So it's like totally culturally not, not a thing. And In Latin America, for example, there was massive resistance. They're like, no way. I'm not going to put one of those things on. It's hot. It's uncomfortable. But we're like, no, guys, we need, to, we need to do this. And so we created clean procedures. And, and, um, and we then got the offices that have, that have come down. We've got them back up with humanitarian permits. So, um, artists right now, they're in dire need It is no joke because they, there's no tourists. There's oh yeah, no sure. It is really, we are getting the, the most, um, kind of like heartfelt and, and tough messages from people where they're like, they just don't know. They're like, there's this, um, widow, her, her name is Andra from, from, from Guatemala. And she's like, I I'm a widow with three kids. And, my jewelry sales, there's nothing from tourists. And we just, we have to sell more through you guys. It's just so important right now. We're like, yeah, yeah, we'll promote you. We'll get you up there, you know? And she's got this most, the most beautiful jade jewelry, but she's just like, she's so worried. And then our Peruvian artists right now, Peru is in full lockdown. Like, like full, like, like draconian lockdown where there's no, you can't, there's no shipping. There's no, so like, so Central America, we've got a humanitarian permit to export Peru. There's nothing right now. And those artists are freaking out. They're like, how am I supposed to provide for my family next week? We just don't have the funds for it. Mm. And we're, we're just, we're trying to get that permit up with the government, you know, cause everything's, I mean, the artists, our artists make stuff at home. They're like producing, like we're the perfect system for the governments that are worried about, you know, village economies in this, in this crazy moment of time right now because artists are safely making stuff at home. Almost all of our, our artists make things at home mm. and then they can deliver safely once a month to our office. And then the stuff goes into quarantine and it gets dropped off. And the offices, the offices are large offices. You know, they just come in, they get buzzed in, they come in, there's no contact, you know, and then the items stay for 48 hours in quarantine. And then we move them into inventory and then we ship and the artist just gets paid. They get their loans or they get paid every two weeks. And so that's why the government of Guatemala, they're like, yeah, this is, this is legit. We want to make sure we support this company. And um and yeah it's, right now it's just they' crazy moments
1: so do you measure impact through wages through like a value gap through like how, to you like what impact are you making I, I mean obviously you think about this so you have these people that you're providing like livings for you know salaries for a, a, a an income uh, for yeah. many of these yeah. families in these uh yeah. these countries how do you measure this impact?
0: Yeah, cool. So everything starts with, with, but basically it starts from a fair trade perspective, right? So everything is done from a perspective of, Hey, is that, is that price that you're giving us? Is that like, is that a good price for you? Do you, do you want to, do you want to try to make a better margin on it? Mm. Or is that the, or do you want to try to move, move more products? Are you happy with this? So like there's a whole conversation about price with the artist. And so, and we love that. It's like our whole thing, like just that, just that conversation, um, sets up the, um, the whole relationship, the artists immediately get like, understands, Hey, this is a partnership. There's a total partnership. We, we, we want to sell as many other items as possible. And we want them to, to, to succeed as much as we can. Right. Mm. And it's not based on us eking out more profit from the artists or anything like that. It's like, how do we competitively sell their goods the best way possible? Right. And how can they make the best items so that our customers love their items and continue to support them.
1: Right. Mm-hmm.
0: And so, so it starts from that standpoint. And then like the whole working relationship is one where we like get them loans so that they can build capacity. They're like a lot of our artists, are, they're sometimes hiring people for the very first time in their lives. They're like, okay, this is working, but well, I don't want to do all this myself or I can't. We're like, okay, hire, hire some people. Usually it's like, okay, I'm going to hire my cousin or my sister or like, you know, it's like usually within the family um it's very cottage industry that way but then but then they start so they're growing capacity then they're like okay i need to buy a, a, like stock of like leather or you know gemstones if they're making jewelry or alpaca wool if they're making uh, alpaca sweaters in peru or whatever it is that they're buying they're like now they're like buying materials and they're they're so it's going up and down the value chain too and it's it's really cool they're they're each each artist really is an an individual social entrepreneur you know and so we're providing the platform for them
1: and really quick for people that are just interested, like, Oh, I want to help out right now. Like where do they go? They go to navica.com.
0: Yeah. Navica.com. Yeah. And so there's, there's thousands of artists that are live there and, and, um, definitely support right now. If I don't know when, when this will be live, this podcast, but you know, I'm sure sometime, I mean, we're not going to get out of this unfortunately anytime soon. It'll be out.
1: It'll be out before May. (laughs)
0: Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. But so this is, you know, just go, go online and support more now more than ever, um, without traveling artists really need the support and they have amazing items and they, they're packed safely and you'll get them safely. Um, so definitely support. There are so many nice, nice items that are made by master artists, you know, so each of our artists, usually they're the best of the best in each of their fields. And we call it a lot of times the world cup, of arts and crafts like <laughs> many of our that. countries are soccer countries you know yeah and i'm a soccer player too so it's like okay this is like the world cup of arts and crafts and um and they're they really are we're working with the best of the best of the best and yeah. um and they're motivated and love to tell their stories and love to make everything lots of love and attention and the detail and everything and so you can't go
1: wrong on anything on site yeah you played uh, semi-professionally right
0: yeah. Yeah. I was a semi pro player. And now, now I coach, that's my thing. I coach a lot. And, um, and these days I'm doing a lot of virtual sessions. <laughs> yeah, so, sure. but yeah, yeah, I've got, I've got four kids and so I've coached, I've coached all four of them. Yeah.
1: You grew up playing soccer. Did you play in college? Did you just no, go straight I, to I the pro? I played, I
0: played semi pro, um, as I was going to college and then for the first year and then that was it. I was done. Oh, was, okay. I got, I, when I went to Stanford and the, the team that the soccer team at Stanford was so good. Yeah, Like they were, when I was there, they were the national champions and I was, I was always younger. I was a small, I was a small, like I was, we were just, my family just has late bloomer blood. And so when I was 17, I probably looked 15 and I got into, I got into the college at 17. I was a year younger. I got into college a year younger and I was like, I felt like a lot younger, but, um, the coach was like okay maybe your senior year i am like no i'm not i didn't come here to, do, to play soccer i came here to, to study and and to have fun yeah so,
1: well yeah i'm a pac-12 guy too so we're all champions you know
0: yeah That's nice my... nice yeah definitely
1: so uh our audience is probably listening to this right now and they are probably like, kevin did did you miss the part where he said that he was in investment banking um <laughs> roberto what drew you to investment banking and then how does someone go from you know a private equity to you know just looking at numbers all day and making those deals. I'm just throwing that as a big assumption, obviously, but looking at numbers all day to then this purposeful, meaningful impact where you're really just doing this to transform lives.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it, it really it it was quite a journey. You know, I think it started even like when I was young. You know, my my grandparents were missionaries on my dad's side, and my dad was in the Peace Corps, and we took all these. Really low budget trips. that were like it's impossible to replicate them now. It's just like they're the they're the best in the world. Where my brother and my best friend Charles and 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 my both of my grandmas, my my dad would just throw us all into into a van with my mom and cousins and the whole family, and we would just drive to you know to Mexico and go on these like we'd stay in the cheapest places that were awesome. They were so oh, cool, yeah. and um and we basically grew up, you know buying from artists in local markets and just exploring the world. And, and that was so valuable. Um, those low budget travels. And then, um, and so it was kind of always kind of, there was an indoctrination, I guess, of like, Hey, what are you going to do with the world? What are you going to do to, you know, for others? And, um, and then, um, I was pretty like at Stanford when I was graduating, I loved it there and I was graduating and I didn't, I was a DJ. I, taught a, a bartending, sc- Stanford bartending school. You're a mixologist. I had, yeah, I was a mixologist, a semi-pro mixologist. <laughs> you know, I was a teacher before I was even good at it, really. And, um, and, and basically, I didn't know what to do next. And I, I was lost. And I knew that, that I wanted to do something entrepreneurial, but I also had to be practical. So I, was, I, mean, I guess I was going to go to law school. That was my default. I didn't know what I was going to do. And, um, and then that, that idea came up with this Portuguese teacher, my senior year and, uh, my girlfriend, um, uh, who's my wife now, but my girlfriend, um, she really encouraged it. She's like, ah, oh, you need to make this happen. And then uh, her mother was with the United nations in between missions. She had just finished the mission in El Salvador and she was a human rights officer for the United nations. Oh wow. And my wife is like, Hey, you got to talk to my mom. Yeah. Cause she I think would like this idea. But so, so I called my Girlfriend's mother. And that was so awkward. I was nervous. I was so awkward. I, we had just been dating for like three or four weeks. And <laughs> she told her mom about me a little bit, but I was like, man, this is the first time and I'm going to pitch her a business idea. And yeah, so, who is this guy? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so, but I did. I talked to her about it and she's like, wow. She's like, that's, that's pretty. She's like, I've always really liked handmade goods and liked working with the artisans and refugee situations. A lot of times, um, artisans like a lot of the refugees are artisans themselves, too. And, um, and so she's like, if you do this, you know, I'll, um, I'll join you guys. And so we're like, oh man, this is pretty serious. We gotta, we gotta make this happen. And, um, at that point, a lot of my friends were, were, um, were interviewing for investment banking positions. And I was like, oh, I guess that's, that's, I should do that, you know, and, um, and we, I did that. And I had the worst possible interviews. I in <laughs> like, I just, I was so fish out of water. I just did terribly. If I didn't know what investment banking, many of them had had internships and mm. man, I was so lost in some of those. I ended up writing a book about it called the investment banking training guide just because it was so hard. And I felt like all these people were so well connected and I wasn't, and I felt so out of the loop, mm. but I finally got a shot. And when I got that shot, I took, I took it and I nailed the job. And and then when i got the when it was luckily came with a 3 month training program and then i um became a pretty good investment banker like like a junior i was so into it cuz i was mm-hmm. incubating the Navika idea and so and the whole time i was doing that other friends that were going to get involved were doing were incubating it and in their different um uh, walks of life mm. and and um and investment banking was so valuable i mean we were, i was working like 90 100 hour weeks and wow learning so much. And, and I, I got in the private equity group in our bank because I really wanted to learn how to raise money for, for small companies like venture capital and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, and then, um, when I quit, um, banking, I went from analyst to associate. And then when I was an associate, then I, I, when I quit, um, a lot of, um, my, my boss at the time and, And a lot of, a lot of the people that worked in our office, they, they were our seed investors. They're like, okay, what are you going to do? They're like, okay, we'll, we'll back you. And that was, that was super valuable too.
1: So what's, what's been key for you then? Has it just been the relationships? Has it just been, you know, the, the connections with people that are in, you know, human rights? Uh, Has it been your, your experience and the drive for it? What's really been a, a solid key for you that stands out?
0: I you know I think I think a lot of the people that that um that may listen to you have entrepreneurial ideas and um and they may be looking and searching especially if they're interested in social entrepreneurship because mm-hmm. social entrepreneurs were always in in search of like it's like okay there's a problem how do we solve it it's like it's the nature of a social entrepreneur mm. um it's like how do we what what can we do to solve these these problems and um and I think I think for I think for a lot of, a lot of it is it's, it's listening. It's like being in tune Um, and to find what that, what that passion is, you know, to find, to find what, how you're going to make, make that impact. How are you going to start that, that, that company that, that you have passion because really to make it work for me, the element is passion, Mm. you know, like there's a lot of heart in what we do and, and um, and and we're so lucky to have found that, like, I know, I know friends that, that are social entrepreneurs that end up, um, not finding something. They're like, they find something because they have a problem that they want to address, but they're not particularly passionate about it. And so it becomes that because already being a social entrepreneur is harder. Being an entrepreneur is hard. And then when you put like, when you put people's lives on the line, when it's like, okay, this is important. Like for us right now, this is important. Why? Because if we don't sell this week, you know, then, people in the middle of this, this virus situation, they're not able to have, there's no other economic activity that they, you know, so it like lives are on the line. And so when you put, when, when you put that on the table, like it becomes that much more um, fulfilling, but that much more stressful. Mm. Like, It's why we work the, the, the long hours. It's why we work as hard as we do, but it's also, and, and still passionate many years later after doing this, still passionate about it, but also like it becomes like, it's it's you can't just walk away from it it's like super so i think that's the magic formula is listening and figuring out what's that idea or what's that concept that you'll be passionate about and um and if you're not passionate about it then why do it like really wait wait for the right you'll know when it's the right moment
1: so for maybe entrepreneurs listening to this right now um it's it It's coming off that, you know, when you're a social entrepreneur, you're dealing with a lot of pressure. I'm sure you've been doing this for so long. You're used to it now. But any advice to someone out there who um, it it feels like they have a lot of pressure on them? uh, Like, how do you mitigate that stress? And what are some things that have worked for you?
0: Well, you know, I'm a total believer in balance. Like I, I did this blog a while back at Entrepreneur's Covenant, which was all about really trying to find the balance because it's so stressful as a social entrepreneur. Like mm. the Entrepreneur's Covenant really should be the social entrepreneur's covenant, but social entrepreneur's covenant really is about finding balance. If you don't find it, there is no way to succeed. And so that's for entrepreneurs, but for social entrepreneurs, even more so. Mm. So that was the Entrepreneur's Covenant. It was find that balance. And for me, um, it's all about... It's all about um, a few kind of key things that that I that I do, but one of them is just trying to break a sweat as much as you can, because like you can exercise or whatever, but if you don't break a sweat, you're not really exercising. Like, how do you really how do you break a sweat? And when you break a sweat, like I don't know if, if about you, but like for me, like I just feel the anxiety kind of just like mm-hmm. especially if it's something I love to do, like soccer. Then I'm not even thinking about the exercise or the sweat. I'm just like I'm just in it, and it's a whole that is such a stress reliever for me. And I really miss that right now. I'm really missing that. I haven't played a soccer game in a month. It is killing me.
1: It is killing me. And that's what people are dealing with right now, you know, staying inside, um, you know, uh, it's very, very easy to, you know, go to the couch right after work. Um, you know, I I work from remotely know, since our inception of leaders, So it hasn't changed for me at all. It's, but I, I do remember when we started out, it's very difficult to build those habits, to go outside, to make sure that you're holding yourself accountable for uh, staying you know, fit and healthy. And you're totally right. It's like a flush when you break that sweat. It's a complete shift of, uh, of a mind state. Um, yeah. So that's definitely something that's helped me out am nowhere near a level of you at all. But for anybody listening out there, whether you're just starting up or um, you're in school still. It's a great, great tool to use, um, but I, okay. So we, I have a couple of things for you, really quick. And actually, let's stay on this con this concept of finding balance. Um, I have been to Bali. I just remember that. Oh
0: no way! That's a go. that's Where, a really like, oh, that's exotic travels. You, you, you said Mexico. You
1: know, wow. I've been, I was like, oh, I've really traveled. I was like, oh yeah, I went to hey, Bali. How do you
0: less. forget Bali? That that's like life
1: changing. How so, did you like it? I loved it. Absolutely yeah. loved it. Nicest people in the world. Yeah. Um, where in Bali are you? We're in Ubud. Ubud. Okay. Great. I was going to say, Ubud, yeah. Ubud is my favorite place in Bali. Yeah. You know, Uluwatu is great. Yeah. Um, Changu was another thing, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, we were only in Ubud for a couple of days and so we stayed at a homestay. Oh, nice. is with a wow. family of 30 you know and it's just like an airbnb and um i forget my man's a, a K- katoot yeah because you know how their names are yeah. Yeah, there's yeah, only like three names I
0: think, I think Katoot is second he's, in line. he's the second in like line a, yeah. yeah
1: so so he's we're talking to him about his place and i'm like how are you guys so happy here i mean i feel like you guys you know you've been in the same place probably since you were little you know this is probably passed down for generations yeah. and you do the same yeah. same thing every day he's like kevin you know all we need is three things he's like we need our god we need our family and we need food and we have that it's the rice patty it's yeah. uh, our temple and i live with my family every day so when you think about balance and perspective and just like finding that that rhythm do you think that maybe people have it wrong nowadays
0: well, you know, ba- I think Bali is one of the places more than any that causes me to question like the rat race that we're in mm. you know? because Bali, Bali is there. There's so many things that are outside of our normal flow where like w- we might get an order, like a big order, you know, like, I don't know, 200, you know, um, romantic love sculpture or something like that. Right. And we'll call up the artist and the artist will be like, you know what? I'd love to do it but I have a village ceremony and my family's doing this other event. And so I can't do it by, you know, next Friday when you need it buy. So mm. sorry, we'll pass on it. And it's like, it's one of our only places where we work with, with artists that, that will that have a, enough balance, right? Like with the various things that they do where they, 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 it's like, it's like the, the community and the family above the uh, individual and there, it, there is a lot of beauty to that kind of communal living. And, and like we, when we visit artists in their workshops, um, often the workshops are home workshops, right. And it's like a, what they call family compounds, kind of like the place you're talking about that you stayed in. That's very typical for Bali and we'll go and we'll show up and there'll be, it'll be like a family compound and, 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 and the cover be over in a corner. Car hang. And, and everything is so integrated with nature. Right. Like most of the carvers they will be barefoot and they'll be like, totally like totally a one with, with nature and the greener, the lush beauty all around. And, um, and I, I really do think every time I go to Bali, I'm like, wow, that's like a lesson in, in how there's other things in life than the narc kind of crazy, right? Like we're like, we're on a path to hit a billion. We want to send, we have sent a hundred million dollars to artists and we're like, we got to do a, a billion because we right. want to make an impact in so many people's lives. And it's like this whole push and, um, and really it's, um, it's, sorry. Phone is blowing up over here. Okay.
1: No, I, I totally get that. What you're saying though, I totally get what you're yeah. saying. Cause that's, that's what I was left with when I left Bali is why am I doing this? I thought, yeah. why would I want to come into this country and disrupt what they have?
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, so that's our feeling is that we have this big goal to hit a billion and we're just like always, you know, work, 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 work to get there. You know, my wife is always saying, Hey, you're, you just, you, you have to enjoy the, the, uh, the, the journey a little more, hmm. but uh, we're destination focused. And I think Bali is a place where you're like, wow, people really enjoy the journey and take, there's the quiet moments during the day. There's the meditation, there's the family, the importance of family, there's the importance of the culture and the religion and everything. Um, it's really a beautiful place because of that.
1: What's the incentive for you then to keep pushing? Is it the investors? Is it just you? What What is it?
0: Well, I think, oh, I mean, it always starts with the individual, I think, right? Because like, I'm just naturally competitive. So I just like, if we're going to do it, like for me, like if we're going to do anything, if I'm going to do anything, I'm going to do it like all the way, like mm-hmm. this quarantine, like I keep telling my family. I'm like, guys, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. We're not going to do this kind of bullshit of like you guys are going to be walking out and talking to someone from through three feet away. And you know, like none of that, like we're, if we're going to do this, we're going to, we're going to do it right. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to stay in, we're going to have all these, we're going to take all these precautions when things arrive. And, and so like um, that's my philosophy in life, I guess, if we're going to sure. do it, do it all the way, you know, like, so we're doing it. We're, if we're going to build this company and do it, we're not going to build this company to, to build a little company. We're going to build this company to, to be what we can be. We're already about to hit the hundred million mark. And like, that's the beginning. But when you see all the artists around the world, like there is so much more impact we could have. And so it's like, how do we, how do we do this all the way? Let's do it. Let's go all the way. Yeah. And so that's my mentality. And that doesn't totally flow with a, with a, um, with a, Hey, let's find peace and let's, let's be balanced and let's make sure. So, so that's why for me, mo- I think most importantly, like the, ba- <laughs> the, like the reminders that balance is important is so that entrepreneurs covenant thing, it's so important or else like your relationships suffer, you know, you're, you know, I want to be as like, I want to be the best dad I can be. I want to be the best husband I can be. I want to be the, the best like friend I could be, you know, so like mm. that stuff, the best soccer coach, you know? And so, so like all that stuff is like, and also the, the best in our business that we can be. So it's like, it's like, there's a lot of extra, there's a lot of like, you know, where's the balance? You got to really find it and allocate time wisely. Right. <laughs>
1: sure. Sure. So uh, when you're you know, leading an organization like this, what type of employees are you finding that are attractive or not tra- are attracted to your company? Um, and maybe some leadership advice for, you know, running an organization like this?
0: Well, we, you know, I don't know if it's luck or what it is, but we've really been able to bring on a lot of ass kickers. I mean, our team, we have so many great people on the team and I think it has a lot to do with the mission. So social entrepreneurs, so you guys have, you guys definitely have that as an advantage, especially with younger employees these days. They want, they want something that means more. Than just a job, right? This idea of like of working nine to five and working towards retirement—that's like those are like that's so like old school, right? Yeah. So it's like it, we have the advantage as social entrepreneurs to attract like-minded, like social entrepreneurs, other social entrepreneurs, or socially minded minded people. They're usually already to begin with smart, right? Because you, you, very rarely are you like socially minded and dumb you know, usually you're, you're, you're at least at a certain, a certain level of like, of, 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 of kind of emotional intelligence to like, to know, like to think about others, to be be able to put yourself in, in other people's shoes and to think. So like already when you're attracting socially minded people, you're attracting like, like good people that are going to be probably effective, you know, in the workforce, you know, so that's already a thing. And then if you have a mission, then that's like, that's really at the core of attracting, attracting great people. So I'd say, I'd say social entrepreneurs, you guys got a good, um, it's just a matter of like, like what's that business, you know, mm-hmm. making it, making it authentic, you know, an authentic, like it has to be authentic. Right. right. Cause everybody sees it If it's not, you know, it can't just be like some simple give back and, and, and then, and then it's done, you know, it, it's the, that's not enough. If it's a give back, then it's gotta be, well, what's the give back that everybody's involved with? It's like, I was listening to your podcast about um the guy from kind lips and i love that the give back has to do with the anti-bullying and and there's the whole message of like when you use the lip balm you know that that um that you putting on your kind lips like i want to get those for my kids you know just because i I just i love that concept and so i feel like that's a cool that's a really cool tie-in and it's authentic and it's real and um and the give back that he's got is like is involved directly with that i thought that was really cool
1: Well, I think it also goes back to your covenant idea with like finding that balance for your employees. I feel like that's just the perfect balance that they would want in their life and would drive them to be an ass kicker as well. It's a, it's an interesting concept that we find with every single organization I've been able to interview, uh, that's a B Corp or a social enterprise or a mission driven company. If they consider themselves that I say, yeah, we just attract people that are like-minded and they work harder because they are engaged every day because of uh, that. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting.
0: Really it is about caring. Right. So like when you do anything, like if you do something that's like, like kind of half-assed, it's probably cause you didn't care that much about it. Right. Mm. It's sure. like, okay, let me do this. Like I'll do some stuff around the house and I'm like, ah, oh, it's not perfectly straight or whatever, but yeah. whatever. I don't care that much about that. Right. So like, but when people are doing things where they care about it, like the work is better and they put more thought into it. And so, Um, it's important to, to do work that you care about and attract people that, and create work for people, you know, that, that they can care about, right. And, um, and attract people that care about things like in our interview process. That's like, that's like one of the things that, you know, you can tell if you're talking about something that, you know, that this is some, someone that cares about things when they do things. And, and, um, and that's like a key, that's a key driver in bringing
1: on ass kickers, right no no, they care
0: about they care about things yeah
1: Yeah. there's no doubt you're empowering other leaders in your organization to to be the best to to kick some ass and and and, you know create a a more impact transform lives now that's to me is what impact is is transforming lives and it ties in well with leadership uh without leadership in today's day and age it's not going to happen so to you Roberta milk you've, you've done all this, you've grown the organization, you've, you've had a a hundred million dollars of sales to artisans and developing and emerging markets to you, Roberto, what is your definition of a real leader?
0: Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, it makes me think about the, when I, when I am so inspired by leaders, it's when I feel like, like they do it too. And so one thing that, um, That that I believe in is that you got to, you got to think like a general, like you got to think strategically, but you got to act like a soldier. Mm -hmm. So you got to go like, like the, as an entrepreneur, especially social social entrepreneur, like if you're doing it, you got to do it. You got to, you got to model that behavior and do it. And then, and then, and, but you can't just, you can't just be a soldier and expect to grow a company, right? You have to continuously get information, listen to podcasts, Listen to read books, you know, meet people, you know, have new experiences, change your routine, have all these different experiences, but influences, right? So you can think strategically, you know, like a chess master, like you're thinking steps ahead, Mm. but if you don't actually go and do the work, if you're delegating everything, if you're one of those, those professional delegators, it is really hard to, 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 inspire respect. I think, you know, at least I don't, I don't respect the, the, the professional delegators as much. Um, although that's an art, but I don't, I just, I love to see leaders that are that roll up their sleeves and, and they, they just get, get in the trenches and they make it happen. Uh, that inspires so much respect for me.
1: I love that. We'll have the work drive you. And it's clear clear that it does that for you as well, Roberto. So appreciate you uh, dropping some knowledge today uh, on the Real Ears podcast. It's a pleasure having you on uh, to share about the impact uh, Navica has been able to make in this world today. I hope the best for your business and for all the artisans out there. Uh, if they're even listening to this right now, we're, we're praying for you all. We're hoping the best for you all during uh, this time when tourism is down. Uh, so, uh, best of luck uh, with Navica in the future uh, for people going out there. Is it, it's Navica.com. Is that right? Is that what you said? Yeah, Navica yeah Navica.com.
0: Or Novica.com. Yeah, I know the
1: I'll yeah. get it right one of these days.
0: No, we say it both ways. We, it's, it's, a, it's a multilingual word that is pronounced all, different ways in all over different countries. Yeah. What does it
1: stand for? Out of curiosity.
0: We were looking for exactly that a vowel, a consonant vowel pattern that could be incorporated into the local language of every single place that we were thinking about opening
1: ah okay
0: we, we looked at no- novica because we were looking at nova as a new system that we we're building like oh it's like a nova like novas, like a so novica yeah and so it's novica or navica or novica it's like we got to do a video with that because uh, like everybody's like how do you pronounce it <laughs> and uh, i don't think i give a good response when i'm like you can pronounce it anyway
1: <laughs> well I, I actually was going to call it Novica before the show. I like Novica. I'll stick with that one. Next time okay. I'm in Puerto Rica, Puerto Rica, Novica. We love it. Rob, appreciate you coming on the show today. It's been a pleasure having you on. I hope our audience has learned as much as I did today. Uh, for Roberto Milk, uh, I'm Kevin Edwards I'm asking you to go out there, think like a general, act like a soldier. And always folks keep it real. Thanks Roberto.
0: Awesome. Thank you.
1: All right, good people. And thank you for tuning into this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And if you haven't yet subscribed or told your friends about this podcast, please, by all means, hit the subscribe button to start receiving notifications of this podcast. And for lucky listeners today, you are going to walk away with a free magazine. All you got to do is go to real-leaders.com slash subscribe and use coupon code podcast25 at checkout. To receive your first magazine for free with a one year subscription. That's four magazines for the price of three. Again, folks, coupon code podcast25. If you're a visual learner and you want to watch this interview on your computer or TV with friends and family, make sure to subscribe to our new YouTube channel. It's at Real Leaders Magazine to see all of our interviews with guests who are harnessing capitalism to sustain the planet, people, and profits. Thanks again, folks, for being a real leader and stay tuned for the next episode of The Real Leaders Podcast.